Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everybody. Mike Bloom here. And Lost is still over, and we do have to go back down the hatch. But this time, we're going pretty far back for this particular episode. The reason why you're hearing my voice at the top of the podcast is because our beloved co-host, my constant Josh Wiggler, is unfortunately not available to record the Lost podcast this week. Don't worry, no need to queue up life and death just yet. Josh himself is fine. His family is fine. He just had to deal with some personal matters. And unfortunately, that did not provide him with a lot of bandwidth to record podcasts this week. That being said, I did not want to tally forth into the jungle without Josh by my side for the cost of living, especially given what a fantastic episode that is. So we come to a bit of a pivot for this week's Down the Hatch. And you know what? Last week we had that really fun birthday celebration when we got to look back on everything we've done over 52 weeks of Down the Hatch. And I thought while we're sort of remembering back to days gone by, let's move further back in the relationship between Josh and I. I spoke on the podcast about how the first podcast we did together was the episode rankings that we did with the two of us and Antonio Mazzaro and AJ Mass. But what I figured I would do today is bring to you a flashback in the form of a podcast that was recorded a little under six years ago, on October 26, 2014, Josh Wiggler and I recorded our first podcast solo during the first iteration of the Lost Podcast here on Post Show Recaps that entitled Lost Lives. Josh was going through a bunch of guests every week to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the first season of Lost. And after I had spoken about my newfound love of the Quans during our episode ranking, Josh and I decided to get together on the 10-year anniversary of House of the Rising Sun, which, as you'll remember from when we covered it during Down the Hatch, is an episode that I immensely enjoy. And we got the opportunity to talk some more about the Quans, about the episode, about Lost, and just get to know each other a little bit more. So I figured, let's take the opportunity, since we have a little bit of gap in the programming, to bring you When Josh Met Mike. That being said, this is 2014 Josh and Mike. It's going to be awkward, including the sound quality. But I was listening back, and I thought it was a really goofy yet very sentimental time that only paved the way for what we've been able to do, not only this past year, but the past six years since that fateful incident. So that being said, what you're going to hear from now on after the flashback noise is not going to be a new episode of Down the Hatch. For that, we do apologize, but obviously things in life do come first, even over Lost sometimes. So please be understanding. Apologies profusely that we don't have a new episode for you this week. To tell the truth, I don't know when we'll have a new episode. Uh, once Josh is in a capacity where he has the time and headspace to be able to record, then we will get the cost of living out to you. So that being said, if you all have ideas of other bonus shows that you want to do, even outside of this patch or patchy, as it were, we're, we're looking to do more miscellaneous shows in the ways of our RPG and book club and all that stuff. Feel free to email us down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com or mention us on Twitter. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Josh is at Round Howard. And of course, Post Show Recaps is at Post Show Recaps. So again, apologies that we don't have a new episode, but Hopefully you can enjoy taking the opportunity to flash back to perhaps a simpler time in the fall of 2014 when a younger Josh Wiggler got to talk with a younger Mike Bloom on the podcast alone for the first time about Lost, not even knowing the journey they would go down the hatch five years from then. Thanks so much. Enjoy.
Lost Season 1, Episode 6, House of the Rising Sun, is over and has been for 10 years to the day. Today, on October, what is it, 27? October 27. Uh, we're just getting started here on the Lost Lives Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. In fact, it's the Lost Lives Quancast, the very first Quancast, hopefully the first of many. I'm Josh Wiggler. I am joined here by a man who's been away from the podcast for a couple of weeks now, but he is a lifelong subscriber of Jin Quan Monthly, I have been told. Mike Bloom. Hey, how's it going, Josh? I love what you did with the place. Did you redecorate? I did. I did redecorate. I, I put something on the blackboard for you. That's great. Uh, I, I hope you have a great decorator. A decorator. I have a fantastic decorator. Uh, Mike, I'm so excited to have you here. You truly are uh, the, the king of Quan. I, I I don't think it's, that's a title that many people seek. The, so amb- the ambassador of Quan, one might yes, say. Yes, I'm the the Quan ambassador. The Quan ambassador. We'll yeah, we'll put it like that. So this yeah. is the first of many Quan puns to, for the next hours. So. Uh, I, th- I think that might be the entire show. I, I, think, I think we're going to see how many uh, how many Quan puns we can fit into this thing. Um, so so for the past couple of weeks, you know, we've been we've been back with Lost Lives. We we came back into it uh, starting with Walkabout two weeks ago. I was talking with Antonio Mazzaro about that episode, and last week I talked with Joe Garfine, who made her triumphant return to Lost Lives to talk about uh, White Rabbit on the ten year anniversary of the episode. So that's something we've been doing is uh, we've been talking about the episodes from season one ten years after they've aired. Uh, today is 10 years since House of the Rising Sun. It's the first ever Jin and Sun episode. Although technically it's really just a Sun episode. It's not really Jin's perspective in the flashback. Uh, and I definitely want to talk about the episode, but more than that, I kind of want to use the anniversary just to talk about all things Jin and Sun. And, and if that's what I want to do here, then there's no one better to talk about these characters with than you, Mike. Uh, you're definitely by far, I would say, the biggest Jin Sun fan I know. Probably more than Daniel Day Kim. <laughs> you think so? You don't think that he's a big Jin Sun fan? Who knows? Who knows? How, what about I, Daniel Day-Lewis? Daniel Day-Lewis is actually a pretty... I actually hear when, they're, when we're doing Lost 2, I'm, I'm jockeying for him to play Sun. And then he'll, I think he'll really get into the role. Oh, God. Uh, I was thinking that, that he could play uh, Clementine, all grown up, Sawyer's daughter. Uh, and like, oh, like it's, it's several years in the future, and Daniel Day-Lewis is Clementine. <laughs> but we're saving that for the last two things. Yeah, well, let's not let's not blow our load. I don't I don't think we should. No, in seriousness, though, you know, we've given a lot of love to a lot of the characters on Lost in in the podcasts in the past. We've talked a ton about Locke, a ton about Sawyer, Ben, Desmond, even Jack. Um, you know, a few weeks back when I think when Antonio and I were doing the feedback show, and also when I was talking to my friend from college, Pete, uh, we talked a lot about Saeed and how awesome Saeed is, and how he's not a character that gets nearly enough love uh, these days. And I would say we we really haven't cracked the nut on Jin. In fact, when we've brought them up, I think we've kind of been mean about Jin and Son. And I, and I don't want people to think that I don't like Jin and Son because I love Jin and Son. And I definitely want to get into those characters a little bit more. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the goal of today. Uh, these are two of the longest standing characters on Lost. Uh, Jin and Son, they, they're day one survivors. Uh, so let's change that today. Let's, let's talk about the Quans. It's the Quan cast today, Mike. This is we're all Quan, nothing but Quan here. Till all are Quan. Should all the Quantins be forgot? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, so let's let's start here with a quote, Mike. Uh, are you familiar with the great Rod Tidwell? Uh, remind me. Of, I feel like I've heard the name before, but I'm uh, not. He was he was a, a football player. His agent uh, was was a, 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 a man named Jerry Jerry Maguire. Oh, was he required to show any money to people? Yeah, he's a guy who really likes you to show him the money. Okay. Uh, And this this guy, Rod Tidwell, this this football player, he his favorite word is Quan. And he he defines the word Quan as follows. Some dudes will have the coin, but they'll never have the Quan. It means love, respect, community and the dollars too, the entire package, the Quan. What do you think of that definition as it relates to Jin and Sun, Mike? Is that pretty close to how you feel about Jin and Sun, Quan? Yeah, I would, I would say so. I think one of the things that really drew me to Jin and Sun in the first place, and I will completely preface this by saying that the very first time I saw this, I was not a Jin and fan, you know, huge lover of them. I'm definitely... Okay, because I was going to ask, was this love at first sight? No, 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 no. And you actually brought up a really good point at the end of our episodes recap and kind of the end of the phase one of Lost Lives in terms of doing these rewatches, you find yourself at various points of your life. And as a result, you resonate with various characters or various plot points more. And I definitely think 
not to dig too deep into my personal life, but the fact that I am going to be married in about eight months at this point, almost not to the so day. Thank you. Uh, it's, I think that that definitely goes to show what sort of characters I resonate with. Um, specifically these, these, you know, marriage is obviously a concept that I have explored, uh, and then I will be exploring quite some time. And to seeing two married characters uh, go through their trials and tribulations, both in flashback and then in this survival situation, and feeling out their relationships both on and off the island is really interesting to me at this point in my life. So going through these rewatches and looking through these episodes again, I, I really have my eye out for them. Uh, one of the things that really draws me at, to them as well as characters are the fact that they're one of two pairs on the island that knew each other before the plane crashed, yes. uh, which is a very different relationship. And they're, and they're su- well, actually, one of one of three pairs, because I was thinking immediately of Michael and Walt, but there's also Boone oh, and, yeah, Boone I forgot and about- Shannon. But forget Boone and Shannon. No. They're, uh, we'll get to them in the Boone cast. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, like, several weeks, basement somewhere. Several, several weeks from now, and that's just going to be us screaming over and over again. Just, it's, ah! It's going to be the one-year anniversary of Do No Harm and us just, like, throwing a party with Boone's death. Yeah, it's just going to be us on YouTube eating pizza and doing shots <laughs> and just getting rowdy and being very happy that Boone is dead. Exactly. exactly. We'll invite you in Summer Halder. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the, I mean, so... Granted, yes, they're one of three pairs, but they're also the only romantically involved pair. The other two are, granted, interesting relationships in their own right. Again, I won't count Boone and Shannon in the romantic pairing. Although, uh, although. That is Fifty Shades of effed up. Uh, but it's it's interesting to see a couple with like this really predetermined relationship, and especially the point their relationship was at when they got on the plane, and the fact that both were yearning to escape in different ways. Son was yearning to escape on her own and Jin was actually looking to escape with son to America to escape her father uh, and to see that their lives kind of come together again on the island and see things kind of get fleshed out. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Jin is kind of a jackass for the first like good half of this season. Oh yeah. He's an asshole. Yeah. And I mean, he has the moments like, he, you know, in the pilot, he's offering people samples of fish and he's catching fish and training fish to people. And, eventually like he, he calms down a little bit on sun but like in this up in house House the rising sun especially like Jin is not shown in a good light whatsoever and i feel like it takes until in translation which is like a perfect pairing piece to house of the rising sun to really understand Jin and where he's coming from yeah that's all connected through the bathroom scene which is i think one of one of the great flashback scenes of lost yeah and i i just love that because it also deals a great way with how great way with how lost deals um, and obviously perspective is all through flashback and we see through, through the eye motif, uh, all sorts of dealings with perspective. But I feel like that's one key example of like one scene taken two completely different ways. We're first meant to believe that like Jin has murdered someone, but then we see the situation was that he was forced to, he was forced to kill someone, but then he ended up beating up this man to try to avoid killing him. And that we see that Jin is not like this brutal person. He's actually now in a horrible for lack of a better term, a sticky situation. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to like see that perspective. And it's also very interesting that it's a good, like 11 episodes between the two as well, uh, that we're not seeing that much of Jin becoming a sympathetic character until that time. Jin becomes a late bloomer in season one. Oh yeah. He's, uh, you know, it's funny, like uh, Sawyer is also a real dick for a long time. It takes a while before you, you're kind of into Sawyer, even after Confidence Man, which we'll, we'll be talking about in a few weeks. Uh, even after Confidence Man, like you kind of get where Sawyer's coming from, but you still feel like he's a bit of a dweeb. And then you get uh, in translation and immediately you're cured of all of like your gin problems. You're like, oh, this guy's very legit. This guy's a good guy. Yeah, I think... And it's until it's until then, because up until that point, he's really, you know, top three assholes on Lost. Yeah. And it's also tough because, I mean, there is a certain translation aspect to it. Uh, Granted, we have subtitles, but we're reading Jin's behavior and the way he comes off, even just through his delivery, is very standoffish and very demanding. And so we're really like. Okay, yeah, we get that this guy is trying to say some sympathetic things, but he's coming across like an ass. And it really takes a while for us to both get used to his delivery and then to figure out exactly what his 
backstory is and how it's he's not exactly who he seems even on the island yeah that actually reminds me mike if if you wouldn't mind um could you button up it's just uh, a, a little too much undershirt uh for you know what josh i have been undermined by you for the past four weeks this is my turn now i'm going to my garden listen it's inappropriate you're surrounded by people who are who are watching this live who are just you know thinking bad things you just got to cover up it's inappropriate for for a family audience but it's good for the baby. It's great for the baby. It's great for the baby. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 fun to think about uh to to think about Jin and Son back in in season one. It's it's a very far cry from from where we go with them. You know, I think on first sight, when you're looking at Jin and Son in these first few episodes, you're not thinking that these two characters are going to be in a, in a very real way, kind of the heart uh, of Lost, at least for a while, and at least you know partially for the whole thing. You know, uh, you're you're really going to be connected to these two. I think Desmond and Penny get mentioned a lot, and rightfully mm-hmm. so, as kind of the heart of Lost. But Jin and Son, right, 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 right up there, uh, and especially you know with the fact that they're going to be separated for an entire season, and then you know when they do get back together, it's for like five seconds before they blow up so the Jin and Sun story is there's a, a lot of tragedy in there but uh, a lot of a lot of reversals as well in terms of like your perspective on on these characters and I think the fact that they're separated actually is a great symbol of the groups of castaways at that time because they're of the fact that these two groups or factions are all separated but they're your these two are at least are yearning to see each other again and it goes back to like the first season and about the fact that like you know, they were all together. And then from season, I would say from the end of season four until this season six, when they reunite on the submarine, it's basically everyone's out doing all random things and a bunch of different factions and groups. So to have these two characters constantly pining for each other and looking for each other is a great kind of symbol from a writer's perspective of these group of strangers are still looking to make connections and still find, despite the fact that Ben is out on the island doing this and Jack and Kate are doing this but they're trying to find their way back it's, it's a nice like connector it's a constant almost between all the groups that are doing things especially in lost later half yeah and i'm, I'm thinking about and i think most people do that think about um jen and, and son separated in terms of like from season the end of season four through yeah. season six when they do reunite but they they get separated a decent amount on lost uh, you know, even in season one, in, in in translation, when Jin learns that Sun can speak English, they stop talking basically for the rest of the season. Uh, and they don't really get back together until, you know, episode nine, I think, of season two or maybe episode eight. I'm not sure. Whichever one is the Anna Lucia episode is when they finally get back together. So mm-hmm. Jin and Sun uh, are, are often thought of as a pair. Uh, you know, it's it's rare for one of them to have uh, a flashback episode without the other one's perspective. I really think it's only season one. I could be wrong on that. Uh, that you know, it's House of the Rising Sun is is the Sun episode, and in translation, is more of the Jin episode. And I think otherwise, it's you know, their two perspectives melding together as one. So a lot of the time, they're thought of as a couple, but they're separate a lot of the time. And it's it's interesting because I'm thinking back to the podcast that I did with my friend Pete, my friend from Syracuse, when, when I uh, went to school uh, in Syracuse and my friend who I watched a lot of Lost with, he was talking to me about his, his take on season one, having just finished all of season one. Uh, and he kind of thought, uh, one of his takeaways was he likes Jin and Sun uh, separate better than he likes them together. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Are you more of a, a Jin and son on their own or a Jin and son together fan? That's a tough question because I see definite qualities that come out of them when they're separate. Some qualities. Some qualities. Doesn't really work. Um, I, I went with it. Um, I actually feel like in spite of all this like resilience towards her husband, I feel like son gets more feisty when she's separated from Jin. Like look at son in season five. Holy yeah. mother. That talk with Charles Winmore and, you know, seizing the major shares of her father's company. Like she, she has a new attitude. And we also see some great stuff with Jin in terms of like the Dharma initiative. And I actually, I love Jin's relationships with people like Michael and Sawyer in particular. I, I really resonated with stuff on the raft because it was, it was cool seeing this man in literally in this environment where he doesn't know what these people are saying, like trying to get accustomed to it, almost like a reset button for what happened when they crashed on the Island. Totally. But together, I mean, yeah, together is tough because I will admit that when they were together, especially in seasons like two and three, the writing was not stellar. 
Um, the son pregnancy storyline is really interesting, especially when it ties into Jin's possible infertility. But like, you know, there was there was a lot of circling the drain with some of that stuff. And I, I feel like when they were back together in seasons two and three and the beginning of four, there really wasn't much stuff for me to, for them to do, which is why they kept saying like, OK, Jin's going to be the one in the season three finale to be the shooter, to set off the, the C4. Or and Sun's gonna lead this expedition to this place. Like I think the the writers realized that separating Sun and Jin was a fun concept, so they just did it as many times as they could to the point of where they were separated for like a season and a half. Jin is a great character to drop into situations. Like having Jin, having Jin on the raft is great. Uh, as you said, his relationship with Sawyer and Michael, having him be part of like that party of people is is pretty fun. Uh, I like Jin. When he, you know, Jin and, and Echo, that's such like a strange pair when, when yeah. they have like their little buddy episode, I think is pretty good. I like, I like Jin whenever he's on, um, you know, those jungle adventures with, with Hurley and Charlie. Trisha Tanaka is the obvious one. Catch 22. I love that when they're in the woods and he's like doing like the ghost story. Yeah. Uh, so Jin, like, I feel like Jin can be, I don't know. It's, and it's not always comic relief though. He's, he can be really good just because there's the language barrier uh, and that can produce some really funny stuff. But, but also he becomes, you know, I, I think the fact that he does have that language barrier can be really good for drama as well. You know, thinking about early season two, when, uh, when Michael and Sawyer think that they've been captured by the others and it's just the tailies and they can't like, they kind of have to caveman it out. They have to sign language out with, with, with Jin to sort of figure out what's going on. So I, I think that Jin really works well when he's, when he's dropped into some of these situations i mean like even Jin being the guy that you see danielle rousseau's backstory yeah. through that's so weird <laughs> but, but it works it works really yeah. well yeah i love it I, I think Jin is like the perfect person just put through all these situations because like if only Jin had made it off the island and he like penned a memoir of like this is what i went through i saw a monster destroy this group of french people back you know like 16 years ago <laughs> i know back when i could not speak english exactly that would be the title <laughs> Very lengthy, lengthy title, but a good title. Yeah, it, it would be a lengthy title. Uh, and I think that Sun works really well separately from Jin for, you know, the reasons that you cited. I think her when she's one of the Oceanic Six, I think, is, is a really cool, empowered character. Uh, but I, I'm a big fan of, like, the, the Sun and Kate scenes. I, li- I like the two of them as friends. I know Kate gets a lot of hate. I, I have a lot of love for Kate uh, in terms of the performance, not always the character. But I think that when, when Sun and, and Kate are together, I feel like they kind of have an underrated bond that doesn't get talked about super often on Lost. Yeah, the only the only problem I have with Sun as part of the Oceanic Six is that I feel like the Lost writers kind of get off on single parents. So to yeah, have sure. Sun have G on and Slay, I was like, okay, finally, we'll have a pair of parents that are actually together and have a child. But then, like, Sun loses Jin and then she takes off and has Gian in the hospital. I'm like, oh, what? Great. Another single mother. Great. Just add it onto the pile. What do you think of that episode? That, that's an episode that I have, uh, I have given the big thumbs down to in the past. That's uh, Gian from season four. That's the episode where in the flash forward, Sun gives birth to her daughter. You are led to believe that Jin is off the island as well and is, is racing to uh, her, her bedside, but we find out that that's a flashback. I think that episode's a bit of a cheat. What do you think of the episode? I think it's, I think it's like a fun concept on the first like where, watch. Where does it rank in terms of your feelings on Jin and Sun episodes? Uh, I, would definitely, I would definitely put it near, I would say in the lower half, because I do think the concept is fun when you first watch it. Like I remember when I watched season four for the, the first time. I, yeah, it's a good concept. Uh, when I first watched season four for the first time and I saw that episode, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But then I also, but then like, A, the fact that, you know, ended up being that Jin actually wasn't dead. It was kind of a fake out by the writers. It was a little cheap. And then when you watch it again, it's not really one of those episodes that you say like, well, now that I know what's going to happen, let's see if I still enjoy it. You definitely enjoy it a lot. There's a lot of diminishing returns on this episode once you know that the big twist is that they're actually separated. Um, so, I mean, I think it's like, yeah. And, and honestly there, it wasn't a big sun episode because she was just in birth. Uh, there really wasn't much for her to, for you and Jim Kim to do other than to act like she was giving birth, which I, again, is probably a hard concept to do acting wise, but, uh, doesn't give much in terms of like character depth. 
Now, uh, this is this is something that I definitely wanted to dig in with with you a little bit on is uh, is the the Jin and Son episodes. You know, we're talking on the 10th anniversary of House of the Rising Sun. Unless I'm off, I believe that is the episode we ranked the highest when when we got together with Antonio Mazzaro and AJ Mass to rank all of the episodes of Lost. That was a three part podcast. If you guys missed that, you can go check that out. If you go to postshowrecaps.com slash lost iTunes, you should definitely do it. It's like six hours of us nerding out about Lost. It's pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that when we did those rankings, I think House of the Rising Sun, we ranked as the best uh, Jin and Sun episode. Uh, and that was 65. Uh, we, we only, you know, counting down from 108, we had that at 65. Uh, so that was, they were the first people off the board in terms of characters that had multiple flashback episodes. Uh, I think that you were, you were a little more bummed out about that than I was. What, what's your take on, on Jin and Sun episodes? Do you think that they're underrated? I, I would say, I would say especially the season one Jin and Sun episodes are underrated. I think they get lumped in again with more disappointing episodes like Gion or even something like the Glass Ballerina, which are like not fantastic. And I think people are like, oh yeah, Jin and Sun episodes, nothing happens. What's what's uh, the worst Jin and Sun episode in your opinion? Well, that's a good question. I have to check my I have to check my my notes here. Um, yeah, but, yeah I, have, I, have, I have I have the Glass Ballerina as my least favorite. Oh yeah, Jin no, that episode. actually is worse than the package. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, yeah, I, I did not like the glass ballerina. I mean, I, I, I thought the, the whole concept of sun cheating on Jin was interesting, but I wasn't exactly a big fan of it. Um, I thought the the stuff on the boat was, was interesting, but again, in the chronology of the season, considering like we had this awesome season two finale, then to have one of the first episodes of season three, be the three of them on a boat, uh, when I was like, what happened to the hatch? Just tell me what happened to the right, hatch. Right. That's all you want to know at that point in time. Yeah. And I think, I think it suffered a little bit because of that. Uh, and so I think, I mean, I personally, I, I think I talked about this in, my, in, my, in our episodes rankings. I personally love the characters and I like the, fla- the flashback scenes that are done. I'm a big sucker for Sun and Jin's pre-island storyline because it's almost like an entire soap opera in itself. There's so much that goes on before they even get to the island. Yeah, you could be its own show. Yeah, that, I was exa- I was actually thinking about that today. Like you could ent- craft an entirely uh, entire other series about it what Jin like goes through. Super, super, super different from Lost, but it, it could exist. Yeah, exactly. But and to, I think it's still dragged down. You talk you talk a little bit in your both your talk with Antonio and and uh, and Joe about how there are some episodes, especially in season one, that have like great flashbacks, and there's some that have great on island stuff, great flashbacks, walkabout, great on island stuff, White Rabbit. Unfortunately, Jin and Sun episodes tend to get dragged down a lot by the fact that there's not a lot of great island stuff. Uh, I, again, I feel like the season one episodes do some really cool island stuff. House of the Rising Sun has all the subplot with the caves and you have some cool Jack and Locke stuff. Uh, and in translation has the whole rap storyline being started. But other than that, a lot of these Jin and Sun episodes don't have that much solid stuff going on on island, which is, you know, half the episode. Totally. Uh, I think, you know, that tends to be my problem with Jin and Sun episodes is that I don't really remember much about what's happening on the island in those episodes. Uh, like it's it's not as memorable as the flashbacks. You remember the flashbacks pretty vividly, but in terms of what's actually happening on the island, it's a little little easier to forget. And, it's, you know, I think, frankly, part part of the problem is, uh, you know, I, I really like House of the Rising Sun. I really like in translation as as episodes but you just mentioned like the on island stuff for house of the rising sun and you didn't even mention you know Jin getting handcuffed to the wreckage and going after michael for for the watch uh you you mentioned like jack in the caves and all that stuff is is fantastic and i and i love the 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 Jin versus michael storyline too i hope we can we can get into that in a little Mm -hmm. bit more detail in a second but i think that that's that's part of the problem is like even in in the Jin and sun flashback episodes they don't necessarily always take center stage in terms of what's happening on the island or when they do it tends to be a little bit forgettable like you're you're thinking more about the jack and john and charlie and kate storyline on the island than you are about uh michael you know getting his ass kicked over a watch and that is i think that's a perfect analysis and it just goes back to what you were talking about before about how Jin is great to drop into situations because Jin and son actually function great as neutral characters a, a lot of scenes like the, the the son and Kate relationship is a lot of 
Kate or even Michael coming to Sun and being like, I have this problem. And Sun says, oh, here's my advice. Uh, they're, I feel like they're much more vessels of plot, especially like from time to time than they are like sometimes standalone characters. So then when you make a centric episode about them, it's a little difficult to say like, okay, these characters who we didn't really build up that much before are now going to hold their own 40 minute episode. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, but but that being said, I I love this episode. We we can dig into it a little bit because I think that there's there's aspects of this episode that speak to the larger Jin and Sun stuff. Uh, and and just looking at season one, a, a lot of it is about sort of Jin as a as an adversary. You know, he's kind of he's he's somebody that is very adversarial with a lot of the survivors of Oceanic. He's he's not great to his wife. He's got this beef with Michael, and the Michael thing is really a, a big linchpin in the Jin and Sun storyline for you know all of season one pretty much uh do, do you like michael as as a character to put in with Jin and son ah uh, it's tough because i all admit i mean again first time i saw it i was it was not love at first sight love at first quan uh with them i i was i was a little bit of a son it was not a, a, a quantum entanglement no i would not say so uh, i was i'll admit i was a little bit of like a michael and son shipper before in translation because i was like this is an interesting relationship and i know we've seen a little bit of like jack and jack and kate like crushing on each other we see even a little bit of this in, in translation but we hadn't really seen something like you know someone cheating on their husband on the island and i was like oh this is they have interesting chemistry i would love to see this relationship develop and the unfortunate thing is that it really doesn't and i feel like this is unfortunately one of the examples of lost kind of like taking all the time to build something up only to for it to fizzle out right like you know we see her give like an awkward hug to michael as he leaves for the raft and then they she is the one that sees michael i believe when he when the tailies come back into the jungle but i think that's about it in terms of their relationship and it's unfortunate because it wasn't a really really weird little part of these first like six or seven episodes especially yeah, the the sexual tension between Michael and and Son it was real. Yeah, like they they almost kissed at one point. It was crazy. He saw her topless. Yep. yep before exactly. he ever exchanged a word to her. Yeah. So I, I I can't even imagine what it would have been. What this loss would have been like if Son and Michael had gotten together. <laughs> and then the the ironic thing is like it's hard to imagine Son cheating on Jin with Michael. Except, like, she totally cheated on Jin with that other guy that one time. I was going to say, is it going to cut to a shot of Michael jumping out a window and landing on a car? <laughs> but he still wouldn't die, because that's, you know, the island won't let him die. He's just yelling, what? <laughs> yeah. Splat. Splat. You would survive that. Uh, survive, yeah. But yeah, so the, the Michael the Michael's son thing is a big deal, and then that kind of gives way into the Michael-Jin bromance. Yeah, and I, I love that. I mean, Sawyer put it best when he calls them Han Solo and Chewbacca, because that's really what they become. And it's absolutely fantastic. Like, I just I think I love I again, I love the rats as a plot device for a myriad of reasons. And one of them is that it definitely brings about a sense of community for the first time since the beginning of the series. And that's where we really see like Michael and Jin start to bond, despite the fact that Jim was trying to drown him probably about a week ago at this point. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that it's not that much uh, earlier than that. I think season one is forty some odd days, so yeah. it's really only been like two or three weeks that they were like really just about to kill each other. Yeah, um, I I love the the Michael Jin stuff in House of the Rising Sun. The whole um, and even with, with Sight. First off, uh, so you watched the episode before you came yeah. out here today. Uh, the, Saeed tackling Jin off of Michael is like the hardest tackle ever and it's so cool. He flies in from nowhere. Oh my, I feel bad for Daniel Day Kim because he must have, that wasn't a stunt double. He got dropped. He got dropped really <laughs> bad. He, you know, his ass got sacked. Uh, it was, it was, it was very serious. G.I. Joe reference thing. Yeah. yeah, you gotta do it. Uh, it was, it, it was great. So just a little bit of a, some kudos for Saeed, but I also love the whole Michael, Saeed, Jin scene when they're kind of interrogating Jin or trying to interrogate Jin because Jin doesn't speak English. And I just love how, how Michael, I, I always love Michael's, where are you from, man? And Saeed being like, Jakrit, Iraq. Well, I don't know how they do things in Jakrit, but in the U.S., <laughs> black people and Korean people do not get along. <laughs> 
<laughs> Korean people don't like black people. Yeah, I always, I always thought that like that scene was crazy because it's something we've talked about on Lost Lives. It's just like um, you know, Saeed as as a character who who represents. Uh, a type of character that Americans were not really used to seeing at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 2004, uh, not really uh, seeing a lot of heroic Middle Eastern characters on television. And then you've got this whole racial tension between between Michael and Jin. And now you're throwing Saeed into the mix. This was really a horrible, horrible, horrible pun alert. It was racy stuff. It really yeah. was. It was it was. It was intense. But I loved it because that's exactly what it was supposed to be. It was people like carving out their own society. What happens when things are kind of stripped away and you're left to your basic survival instincts? Of course, natural tendencies, the way you were raised are going to come out. And we even see it here. We're like, I don't want to generalize Eastern cultures, but Jin was raised in a culture where it's all very much about like respect and honor. And that watch clearly meant something very honoring and respectful to him. And that's the reason why he went after Michael so hard was because in his opinion, Michael disrespected that. And to, in Jin's culture, disrespect is comparable to, to, you know, the worst crimes. So the fact that like Jin took that watch in a completely different meaning than Michael, who was just like, Hey, I wanted, uh, I didn't want to give up a $20,000 watch that I found in some, in the, in the luggage. Yeah, I also love uh, the final scene between them when Michael's like, I, I don't really tend to, you know, think out loud too often, but since I've got a captive audience, and he like comes at him with the axe and everything. Yeah, uh, and and from this moment forward until mid season two, Jin's gonna have the the uh, handcuff bracelet. It's an accessory. I like it. <laughs> it looks good on him, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, that was the, uh, that was also the last uh, lingering bit of the Marshall. Mar- or the marshal's presence left on the island, so now it's officially been severed. <laughs> well, we've got we've got the marshal's guns in the woods as oh, that's well, true. but that's from whatever the case may be. So the less we think about that, the better. Although, oh, can't, wait, can't wait for that anniversary. Although you do see the marshal's dead body in that episode, so on retrospect, that kind of gives it a couple of bonus points for me. You know how I feel about dead bodies on Lost. Yeah, it's it definitely rank always jumps up the score for you if there's a dead body. Um. You know, you know what we uh, we haven't talked about too much is the performances of of Jin and Son of of Daniel Day Kim and Yoon Kim, who uh, for my money, Yoon Kim might be one of the best actors on Lost. Yeah, I completely agree, and I mean she, she's again, like, her face is the most expressive face ever. Absolutely, like her, even just watching House of the Rising Sun, like her expression to her and you know her in the bathroom scene and her and talking with the decorator and her at the airport which that scene is still absolutely heartbreaking to me that yeah. scene and that scene in the airport is still she's, a, she's a really good crier yeah she is amazing she did she didn't even do like the one tear down the eye like i see that a lot of that in like once upon a time like they they the actors perfect Qu- the once one. upon a time Quants Upon a Time uh, is, the, is the sequel. It's a spinoff they're trying out. Uh, but, you know, they like to perfect the, like, one tear rolling down the cheek. And even one tear the, rolling down the cheek? But in this, in House of the Rising Sun, it's not quant tear, it's two tears. I can't, there's no pun out, made out for that. Put two? No, no, that doesn't <laughs> exist. No. Uh, but many she, tears, multiple tears. Multiple tears, and she's able to, like, sufficiently cry, and she's not one of those, like, pretty criers that a lot of a lot of you know, Hollywood actors are she's shows some genuine emotion but to me also like Daniel Day Kim's smile can like light up a room whenever oh, yeah. whenever Jin smiles like you know that picture of even even that of him with the flower in the airport is like such like a like how can how can you stay mad at that guy um so we we like to objectify the characters on Lost quite a bit. We like to talk about who who's hot, who's not. Not not many people in the not category, I don't think. Uh but I I feel like Jin needs to get a little more love in terms of the 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 dude babes. Uh he is a real babe, Daniel Day Kim. So are you a bigger fan of his short hair or his like longer dharma hair? short hair every single day of the week. I think that Jin looks really silly with the long hair. Uh, I think that might play a role into why I do not love Jin that much, basically uh, from mid-season five onward. Okay, so once we he's like his Dharma hair you don't like? I don't like his Dharma hair, and I don't like when um, he very conveniently now uh, that he knows English only speaks English. Like even when he's reunited with Sun in season six, I really don't like that he talks. Uh, he speaks in English to her. Like in their in their death scene, most of their final words to each other, I believe, 
are in English. You know, there's a little tiny bit of Korean before his final words to her, which is, I think, I love you, son, in English. Not a fan of that. Not a big fan of that. I think that's also a big part of why I'm not the world's biggest fan of the 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 final, the Quan song, if you will, the, the Quan Swan song. I thought, I thought that was a thong song joke. Uh, that quang, 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 quang. <laughs> can that be? Can we can we play that as a theme song? Goes. Yeah, 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 totally. Oh, great, great. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, so I mean, <laughs> the whole. I mean, we can even talk about the whole son forgets to speak English for an ep- for a few episodes type of thing. I mean, it's not a very good plot device. I think that there, I think that there are times when Lost does not know what to do with the Quans. Yeah, I think that I, I think that's I think that's part of the problem with having them as as neutral characters, as you said. I think that's a really good way of looking at them. That they're really at their best when they can kind of just be, um, you know, sort of dropped into these stories, and and they can have they can have roles to play in the larger stories. But when you give them their own like really big island stories it doesn't always work and especially in in season six for for both of them uh you you know with given given everything that they need to accomplish that season i think that having to stop down and give them you know a flash sideways episode and therefore you have to give them an a plot on the island it just you know it's it's not just you know son forgetting to to speak english it's also like can you even tell me what Jin's storyline in the package is on the island? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I even took it down. Like, I can't he gets, even. He gets like. Uh, he basically gets captured by Widmore's people. Yeah, he gets like he gets captured by Widmore, and then yeah, For really basically that, no reason. Yeah, exactly. Like, basically why? All people at, why take yeah, to look at like a digital camera with pictures of his daughter on it. Yeah, it's. I I completely agree. I feel like the writers were treading a lot of water because they're like because I think they got a lot of they got a lot of mileage out of the fact that Jin and Sun were separated in terms of Sun was off the island and Jin was on it. And to see that those two stories kind of diverged. Now they're like, great. Now Sun's back on the island. What do they do now? And I'm, I'm not a huge fan of like Sun with, I love Frank Lapidus, but I'm not a huge fan of like Sun being like that with Alana's group and with Lapidus and with Ben for a little bit. Like, I just feel like there wasn't much stuff for her to do there. Yeah, I'm a little warmer to that stuff in in season five. I think it's really season six where where it really starts to drag for me. It's just like put these two together, give them a storyline together. It's the final season. You could probably think of something that gets these two in a room together for longer. Uh, and and maybe I don't know. I don't know. We could complain. About, I could complain about season six all day. Lost two. Lost two. <laughs> Lost two. When when the ghosts of the Quans. Yeah, the Quan ghosts. Quan ghosts. I like that. Um, yeah. And I, I think we should also do credit to, to Yoon Kim, who is a, a beautiful woman. Uh, she's, uh, she's, she's fantastic. Yeah. She's, she's absolutely beautiful. I mean, I, I, I'll admit I would, I would definitely accidentally walk on her topless bathing in a, in a Creek. <laughs> you would, you wouldn't mind that. I, I would not, I would not mind that. I don't know if I'd stand as awestruck as Michael did, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that was real smooth, buddy. Yeah, I played off a little more. <laughs> Michael's not the smoothest. No, he really he's he's not. But I mean, when you, when he's got Walt on the brain twenty four seven, there's there's not much room for action there. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, and I I think one of the reasons why an episode like House of the Rising Sun uh, is sticking out to me right now is I'm kind of watching these episodes again once a week. I'm watching one per week, uh, and up until one this per week. Quan per week. Uh, and this is this is the first sighting of, of Sun basically showing any emotion other than just like the really quiet observer Sun. No one knows that she speaks English yet. Uh, she's only really interacting with Jin. Anytime she's interacting with anybody else, it's kind of really subtle. You get a little bit of it when she's uh, in walkabout, when she's teaching Walt like how to brush his teeth with, with you, know, you know, the, the Chia. You know, I think that there's yeah. there's good stuff there. Uh, but this episode is really such a showcase for her. Uh, and I and I love Daniel Day Kim, a uh, big, big fan of him. But if you're if you're asking me, which is uh, who's who's the more talented actor of the pair? And frankly, which Quan would I take over the other? If I could only save one, I would save Sun every single day of the week, just because I think she has um, she has such a crazy, crazy amount of range. I'm thinking of like the what's what's probably her her best scene in the whole show is the like the season four finale the freighter uh yeah, blowing um, up and just her from the helicopter and screaming her guts out it's just like uh, holy shit yeah um, that is wow, you are incredible yeah she's, yeah, and you, yeah and, you, and you feel it i mean like again we talk about how 
for stuff for a lot of like you know seasons two three and four we get a lot away from the characters and we get more towards plotty elements and i think we kind of forget or we take for granted the son and jin relationship until that moment when like when son and jin get on the chopper and jin ends up missing the flight and it explodes and we see her scream in terror it really like shocks your system back almost especially looking back to be like oh yeah i forgot that they're in love and that they're getting off the island so that she can have their child yeah yeah big big stuff um yeah and you know what else though i'll say is this is a complaint that i've that i've said before i think i said this with uh with in my podcast with my friend pete uh is that uh these are beautiful people uh, there's there's a lot of ke- you you buy the love between Jin and Sun. Uh, I don't always buy the sexual chemistry between Jin and Sun. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, in this episode, in House of the Rising Sun, in the the first flashback scene when you know he's the waiter and he gives her a glass of champagne and then they go and they meet and he gives her a flower and then they kiss. It's like kind of hot. Uh, yeah. But but then future kissy scenes between Jin and Sun tend to be like. You can kind of tell that like Daniel Day Kim and Yoonjin Kim just aren't really going to go for it. Yeah, it's weird. We I wish we'd see more of like young young uh, Jin and Jin and Sun. Uh, instead, it kind of like flashes to their wedding, and even then, things are a little neutered. I would have loved to see them more like you know, hot in the sack, Jin and Sun. Like yeah. drive you know drive around till four a.m. Like doing doing things that she won't tell her dad about. Oh my God, Mister Pake. Oh, Mr. Paik. Yeah, maybe maybe that's why they're so reserved. They're just they they have like some traumatic incident with him, and they just uh, ever since every everything is ruined sexually. To speak on that though, I mean, I talked I talked before about the the kind of the cultural difference between our culture and uh, and the Quan's culture. I, I think the whole I, I know like the whole he's a he's from a poor fishing village. She's a rich CEO's daughter. Might seem a little stereotyped especially from like a fairy tale perspective but here i actually really like it because is of the that, cultural is that the storyline on once upon a time yeah exactly it's their it's their whole flashback right um there's the prince and the pauper uh the prince and the quanper but uh <laughs> the, i think i actually really like it because again it shows the huge cultural divide in in their it's a huge class warfare over in eastern cultures and like a relationship like john and jin and sons is unheard of to have like a poor fisherman's son fall in love and end up marrying the C- the, the daughter of like one of the biggest CEOs slash like mob bosses in the country is like, like so, so taboo. And I think the loss of, loss of the good job of explaining it, but I feel like it's still like not even emphasized enough. Yeah, I, I can, I can agree with that. I, I, and I really like, uh, that's why I really do tend to like their flashbacks a lot. Uh, the one that I'm thinking, I think it's, I think it's DOC. I'm not a thousand percent sure on that. Whichever's the flashback where Sun basically has to go to war with Jin's, uh, birth mother. I think that's DOC. I think that's DOC. I, I really love that. I love the episode. I think that's the episode where Sun goes and meets Jin's father for the first time. Yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, I, I really love seeing... I, I wish we'd seen it more. I love seeing Jin's um, hometown. I think that's that's always really fun. Yeah, and I love seeing Jin's father. I mean, I think one of the... One Jin's of the reasons- father is great. He's one of the only good fathers on the show. You can count them on one hand. Lost writers, what are you doing? You have a good father on your on who is in your script. Why are you just like, well, we won't hear from him anymore? Because that's boring, Mike. You don't want the good fathers. Uh, all the best, all the best cowboys have daddy issues, but not the fishermen. Who are the good dads? Uh, th- this is this is something I'm always interested in. Who are the good dads? I think uh, I think Jin's dad seems like a decent dad. Yeah, that sounds that's that works. You know, um, and and then I think it says a lot that probably pretty close on the list would be like Hurley's dad at this point, even though. Yeah. Ran out on Hurley as a kid. Those yeah, two, but those two seem cool now. Plus, it's plus it's Cheech. You can't go wrong with Cheech. Yeah, like who's the next best dad? Is it like Christian Shepherd? <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's, this is a, this is a low low pool of applicants. Of that, no, you know, Desmond's a good dad. Desmond, oh, so Desmond as a father? Yeah, Desmond's a good father. Desmond's a good father. Yeah, uh, I like Flash that. Flash Sideways Jack is a good dad, but that doesn't count because it's not real. Yeah, exactly. We 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 don't we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. Um, what do you think of Mister Paik? He's interesting. I mean, I also again feel like 
he's supposed to be painted as an evil character, but he seems more of like a cardboard cutout than anything as more of a plot device of like, this is the thing that's standing between Jin and Sun's happiness. Because I mean, like he's not shown in any sort of compassionate light. He's a man who wants to murder people because they are late on their shipments or something like that. So I think he's, he does his job of being like the catalyst behind a lot of the events in the flashbacks. But as like a character himself, I'm not like, Oh, I'm really, let me see what Mr. Pake does this week. I'm really dying to see what Mr. Pake does. I think it's a, it was a real lost opportunity. Lost opportunity. I think it was a real lost opportunity. Lost quam opportunity that they never tied Mr. Pake to like Widmore or something. I completely agree. I thought they were going to for a while because I mean, he's a big international businessman. I, I would, I would expect them to, you know, we saw Sun interact with him on behalf of the company, but really to threaten Winmore. But like, that's it, which is again, surprising. Yeah. I, I really thought that that was something they were going to do. Uh, you know, it just seemed like something that really could have naturally worked and that could have given Jin and son a little more juice. Yeah, I completely agree. And that would have been nice. Maybe we would have seen some Desmond crossover as well. Oh man. Yeah. Desmond versus, uh, Mr. Paik. Oh man. I would have loved that. That'd be pretty great. Then Jin, then they and Mr. Pate dies, and then Jin's father takes over. Oh my God, <laughs> that would be amazing. Get, get rid of all the offices. It's all going to be fishing nets now. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I, I would like that. I enjoy uh, that. But yeah, I feel, I feel like that would have certainly been a better use of Jin and Son in season five. If you know, shows up to the island on his submarine, and whoa, Mr. Pake is there as well. Yeah, exactly, and that that would have been interesting if like. You know, I, I also would have loved to see more of Sun's relationship with her father once she got off the island. I mean, I think I can't remember too many scenes with the two of them. We just know that when she meets Winmore, that she is like she has a she has a major shares in, shares in her father's company. Now, I didn't see too many scenes between the two of them, but I would love to see, especially with this like newfound resilience after losing Jin, especially to have her go to her father and be like, I'm running things now. Yeah, to like really just have him in episodes is like her toady, like just like totally her, you know, her bitch. Yeah, well, especially since I think slowly more and more, I think Sun starts to find out about what she, I mean, she sort of knows what Jin's been doing for her father. But I feel like she starts to really get to know Jin and realize how much her father has kind of corrupted him and what he's made him do. So to have her kind of retaliate after that would have been something really interesting to see. Um, we got to talk about the bathroom scene in House of the Rising Sun, which is something we'll we'll get the other perspective of in in translation. This like this flashback scene, this always is just like burned into my memory in terms of like yeah. examples of of uh, the the best lost flashbacks is is this scene: Jin coming home covered in blood, son running into the bathroom, smacking him in the face, asking him what he does. And what does he say? He says, like, I do whatever your father tells me to do. I do it for us. Uh, And then she leaves. And, you know, in in this episode, it like fades to black. Uh, You know, it doesn't even whoosh back into the present. That fades to black and goes to commercial. Uh, And it's going to be so long. It's going to be until in translation, which is, I think, like 10 episodes after this or something like that, where you get the other side of the mirror where you get to to linger in that bathroom for just a little bit longer and watch Jin's face just crumble and cry in the mirror. And uh, man, oh man, good, good, good stuff. It's, it's fantastic. And it represents like the, the heightened tension of the relationship at that point in their lives as well. Because I mean, we don't see too much of it beforehand. There's a couple scenes of like Jin saying, oh, I have to work late. Here's a puppy. And we see like... Oh. Bubble. I mean, see son be like, oh, I remember when you used to got, get me a flower and that and that used to do the trick. But this is like this is like when they're really at their most tense. And I mean, I'm not sure in terms of the chronology when the whole infertility things comes in here as well. I don't know if that's kind of on the forefront of their minds, but I feel like this is when things like come to a heat. And I love Jin's whole defense of like, you know, I'm doing it for us. I'm doing it for essentially the family. Uh, which is, I mean, I know, I know you watch Breaking Bad as well, or watch Breaking Bad as well, Josh. It's, it's a big, a big theme in Breaking Bad of like the things that you do for your family and sure. the things that, you, things that you do for the people you care about. And we'll see it more in translation how mu- how far Jin is willing to go for Son's happiness. 
we have a question in from Chris Burton, who wrote in and said, do you guys think that Jin should have survived the submarine? There was really no reason for him to stay down there. And it was kind of douchebaggy considering he has a newborn. Uh, and, you know, this is something that we should probably talk about is uh, what, what's your take on on Jin and Son's exit from Lost? So I, I think I talked about this a little bit when we were doing our episode rankings, but I personally don't have a problem with it just because, I mean, we came into the show with Jin and Sun together as a couple with them devoted to each other. I wanted to see them go out as a couple. I thought it would have been actually pretty cheap to have had Jin leave the island and be with his child because, I mean, it's it sucks to say, but when they were in that church, it wasn't Jin, Sun, and Jian. It was Jin and Sun. They were each other's worlds. And to have it, it end with like Jin leaving her would be, I think it'd be more of a douchebag if he had left her. It's like, all right, see you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, I, I just, I, and I think it was, I think, it, I, you know, for all the, the stuff we just talked about, about how there's a lot of plotting and treading water going on with Jin and Sun, and especially latter season five and beginning of season six, I thought it was beautiful for them to come together and like, you know, them reuniting and Jin swearing to stay with her, especially after they had been separated for so long. Uh, I, I think it just shows how strong their relationship was and where, how far we came from Jin yelling at Sun to button up her shirt. I mean, it's there. It's been a mountain of character development and scenes and a child and separating and reuniting and separating and reuniting again. And if you really see the person that you love and the person you want to be with for the rest of your life, you are not going to leave that person. Wait until you've been married for a couple of years. I was going to say, maybe, maybe my, maybe my luck, maybe my mood will change. Maybe in like, if we do this again in three years, I'll be like, Oh no, he should have left. Asshole. Should have left. Should have left. It's really, it's really lame that he speaks English to her in that scene though. Yeah, I I agree. I think Korean is the language they fell in love with. I think they should have spoke Korean as well. I I just think it's like, meh. Maybe maybe Stun hit her head on the pole and she wouldn't be able to remember to speak Korean anymore. Oh, that's a good theory. (laughs) That's I'm going with that theory. That's a good theory. All right. Well, you're the, you're the Quan expert. Uh, you're, you're the guy who knows all things Jin and Sun. Let me ask you two nagging questions that everybody who watches Lost all the way through gets really hung up on. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. Why doesn't Sun travel back to the 1970s with the rest of the Oceanic Six? Why is she not able to go back in time? It's a good question. I mean, I like... I forget whether it was you or Joe who had the theory on the podcast that the Quan in the cave or the, in the lighthouse was only Jin's name. Uh, I like that theory, though. I think is there isn't there a point in season in season six when someone tells Sun that her and Jin were both candidates. Maybe they were just humoring her. Yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty uh, confusing, confusing situation. But I, I would see. Yeah, I could see Jin as like a possible a real, a real conundrum. It is a quandrum. Um, I, I, so maybe I'll go with that theory because I do think Jin would be an interesting, he, he'd be an interesting like heir to the island. Um, Sun would, Sun would be interesting as well, but I think Jin, I feel like Jacob would be seeking out Jin more. Like I think J, I think Jacob would want to bro down with Jin a little bit as a, as a, as a, a possible heir to the island. Well, we know that Jacob likes to fish. That's true. He loves, he loves to fish. Maybe he respects Jin as a fisherman. Yeah, maybe he could be his new father. Well, then this, the second question I was going to ask was, which Quan is the candidate? But I guess you, you believe you would say Jin. I, you know what? I actually, yeah, I would say Jin because I think let's go back to that bathroom scene. Jin says, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for us. I'm doing this for our family. That is a, that is a, a quality of a candidate is that he is doing things on sacrifice. Yeah, he's, he's, he's making sacrifices. He's doing things that he are against his morals, that are against his will to for the betterment of the other people. And I feel like that's something you want in a candidate. So I feel like Jin definitely possesses those qualities. I mean, some, some would be great as well, but I feel like Jin has a lot of selflessness. Um, is there any other Jin Sun stuff you want to talk about? Or I, I also would love to get your thoughts on just like the rest of House of the Rising Sun, you know, some of the caves and all that action. Yeah, we can talk about that. I mean, I mean, we we gotta talk about the the bee, <laughs> the bee scene, the bees. Oh God, no, not the bees! Ah, I, thought, I, thought they were, I thought they were seas, actually. 
Oh no. Oh God. I didn't even, I didn't even notice that joke until the rewatch. And even then my fiance was like laughing. I'm like, what? And cause I think I, I didn't, I heard Charlie mumble a little bit. I didn't even hear that line, but I love it. It's uh, interesting. Great, great joke. It's interesting though. I I'm totally in doing this rewatch. I'm so intrigued as to how much Charlie is such a supporting character in every single episode of this, like the first season. Charlie was a big deal. We're going to talk about Charlie uh, next week on Lost Lives. Next week is the 10th anniversary of the Moth. Not not yeah. a, not officially uh, confirmed what we're doing for the Moth just yet, but we'll we'll be talking about that. We'll be doing a Charlie cast next week. Will it, will it be a will it be a, a group a group hangout? Everyone singing, "You all, everybody." I was going to say we're just going to be doing drugs. They they go hand in hand. <laughs> there's so much uh, there's so much about Charlie as as a drug addict in these first few episodes of Lost. They kind of get away from it for a little while, uh, but it's it's really pretty serious in, in this episode. Everything between him and Locke. I like that Locke is a drive shaft fan. Yeah, and I, I love this. Is a really nice actually uh, in terms of Charlie and Locke. It's a really nice like intermediary episode between what happens in Walkabout and uh, and White Rabbit and the Moth. In terms of we see. Locke and his renewed sense of faith talking to Charlie and it ties really nicely into what happens in the mall with, you know, you can ask for your drugs three times and the third time I'll give them to you. It's all about faith. And Locke even says it in this episode, like I you know you'll be, you'll be able to find your guitar because I have faith. This miracle guitar that somehow survived falling a thousands of feet out of the sky and falls into these magical trees. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I also wondered uh, on rewatch. So, so Locke, you know, figures out that Charlie is going off into the woods to do heroin, uh, and I kind of wonder if he knows that Charlie's going off to do heroin because he's such a huge drive shaft fan, and he like read all the tabloids, like, oh, Charlie Pace is a junkie. I mean, there's there's probably not much you can do when he's in a wheelchair and is planning a walkabout to. Australia. He's probably like, well, let me see what's in the news. Oh, drive shaft again. I mean, he knew they're like, he had opinions about oil change versus their self-titled EP. I mean, he's clearly what you, like... What do you think about that, actually, Mike? Do you think that uh, drive shaft's self-titled debut is, is a much stronger effort than oil change, or do you think that that was a harsh comment? All depends. Does oil change have a B-side of you all, everybody's? Uh, I think when you like load it onto your computer, like there's like the secret music video pops up. Yeah. Okay, then I might have to go with oil change just because that's good dirt on the band. <laughs> I know I know you love you all everybody's. It's I love it as much as I love the music video for Sticky Situation by Baylor Wilson. <laughs> How about the music video for the the Quan song? Oh, I mean that's just in a class of its own. I mean you, it's right up there with like the most the most inspirational videos of all time is the Quan song. Jin's got dumps like a truck, 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 truck. <laughs> like a Dharma truck, truck. Um, yeah. This needs to happen. This needs to be written now. The Quan song. Yeah. If, if one of you guys out there wants to write the Quan song, we'll be very happy to hear it. I Extremely think. happy. What do you, what do you think about the fact that the Quans, they end up in the caves, they go to the caves. Do you think that they understood what was happening? Obviously son understood, but you know, wh- what's the logic? Why are they going to the caves? Well, I think I think Jin wanted to go. I think Jin wanted to get away from that situation as much as possible. And we know that Michael wants to stay on the beach because uh, it's an, it, I love the cave separation storyline as well because it's it's a great dichotomy between those that are look that are slowly realizing that they're going to be here for longer than they thought, and those that are still kind of hopeful for survival, and those who feel like they need to get off the island. You have Kate sort of caught in the middle. So if I were if I were Jin and I just got granted I got freed by Michael, but Michael is still I still understand him, but he seems very irate at me. And I see Michael's going to stay on the beach. I am absolutely taking off for those caves. It's probably a good idea. Yeah. So like, and especially since like you'll have like, you know, you'll have, like waving an axe in this guy's face. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Like speaking for all intents and purposes, Martian. Yeah, like it's going to be pretty traumatic, even for a hitman like Jin, just to have like this this scary guy with an axe waving in your face and just like shouting gibberish at you. Yeah, the, Mr. Pake did not train him for a man with an axe coming at him and speaking gibberish. Yeah, it's pretty pretty messed up. Yeah, so like I I think I think Jin made the right call. Plus, like it's also if you go to the cave, you you sit with your back to the cave wall, and that means that you'll definitely be defended from one side. Nobody can really sneak up on you and try to kill you, which is probably what he's thinking about at this point, considering that like <laughs> Saeed like again dropped him and like he just got his his ass whooped, and now he's pretty he's pretty much like he beat Sawyer. He's now public enemy number one, 
at camp. So I would want to take off for refuge as much as I could. Yeah, that seems sense. Uh, Mike, anything else on, on Jin and Sun, or should we save it for a future Quancast, for Quancast 2? Yeah, I mean, this. I think we just, we have to, we've set, we've paved the road right now. Let's drive this car onto Quancast 2. So I'll, so I'll remain reserved for now, only in that I, my, my love for Jin and Sun is a very nubile love, and I'm happy I got to expound on it a little more with you. But I'm excited to explore it more as, as, uh, as we keep rewatching. You want to experiment too. with your, with your, uh, your, your fling with the Quans. Yeah, I want to Quan experiment a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Do you have any Quan puns that you didn't get to use that you that you want to uh, take some time to use right now? Just like throw them uh, out there. I wish Jin had more of a role in Some Like It Hoth so that we could talk about how in Hurley's version of the Empire Strikes Back, uh, they would be on Hoth with a Quan Quan. Oh, yeah. I thought you were just going to go with Quan Solo, which would have been easy, too. Quan Solo is a good one, but I liked I liked in the Empire Strikes Back where Han Solo had to Quan Solo had to cut open a Quan Quan to put Luke Quan Walker inside of him to remain warm. Oh, my God. You just blew my mind. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll keep thinking of those. We'll, we'll do another Quan cast, uh, certainly uh, around in translation whenever we get to that. That's going to be several weeks from now. But when, when we get there, we'll talk. We'll talk more Quans. I, I was really happy to talk about the Quans. These are characters that we haven't really, uh, you know, really sunk our teeth into that much here on Lost Lives. And I think that they they're interesting characters in terms of, you know, what what the show gets right with them, what the, what the performers bring to those characters. Uh, and I think just as fascinating what the show gets wrong with, with yeah. Jin and Son. So I th- there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about with Jin and Son. Maybe not the flashiest characters on the surface, but totally worth uh, a second, third, fourth, and fifth look. So uh, we'll definitely be talking about them more as we roll along here. So next week, uh, we'll be talking about the Moss. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, for, for more details on that. If you want to make sure you don't miss an episode here on the Lost Lives podcast, you can subscribe. That's postshowrecaps.com slash lost iTunes. Uh, Mike Bloom is doing tons of cool stuff here on Post Show Recaps with another show. Mike, do you want to talk about what you're up to? Yeah, so uh, I am doing weekly recaps of not Once Upon a Time, but Once Upon a Time. We are about five episodes into season four. I'm doing those recaps with Kurt Clark. It's a it's a lot of fun. It's it's a thoroughly entertaining show. So actually, a, a few hours after we record this, I'm going to be recording the uh, recap for the most recent episode that aired. It's a, it's a lot of frozen fun in Once Upon a Time this season. It's season four, right? Yep, season four. How's the frozen stuff going? Uh, I'm personally enjoying it. I've seen Frozen a couple of times before, and I feel like they're tying stuff in, but it's not heavy-handed, and it's also not necessarily storylines that are associated with the Frozen canon. It's not like, well, remember this part from the movie because they're doing it again. It's more like they're kind of spiraling it off into its own little uh, B narrative and tying it into the other main characters as well. So I'm very glad it's not heavy-handed. I feel like the show's kind of on an upswing because season three was a little, little uneven. All right, Mike. Well, wonderful job today on Lost Lives and your return to Lost Lives today, Mike. You guys should follow Mike on Twitter. He's at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, I'm at Round Howard, like Ron Howard, but rounder. If you made it this far, what should the hashtag be, Mike? Quansong? Quansong. Quansong. Let me hear that Quan. Like when your booty goes, baby. That Quan, 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 Quan. Somebody, right. somebody tweeted Cisco. I think I smell a comeback. Yeah, this could be it. This could be it. We this could, could be go for Cisco. Cisco's career. That'd be great. <laughs> All right, so tweet us your lyrics to the Quan song, uh, and we will be back next week with another episode of Lost Lives. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.